This is Witness Conference 2014 with Marita Fong. The topic is Call for a Speedy Work. Good morning. You are the early birds who will catch the worm. So let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come here this morning because we want to learn more about you. We come because we are sincere in our desire to surrender everything that we have to you, in our desire to obey you in all that you ask us to do, because we trust you and we love you. And we thank you for being with us this morning, for blessing our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, because this is a devotional, and what would it be without the Bible? Turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, where you are about to find the Israelites, and they are encamped in the plains of Jericho, the plains of Jericho, which is not in the wilderness. This is in and part of the promised land, isn't it? However, they are camped in the plains of Jericho, looking and beside the city of Jericho. Would you read with me verse 13? Joshua 5 and verse 13, it says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. Now to begin with, why is Joshua outside of the camp of the Israelites? He's not anywhere near a tent or a cooking fire for the morning, breakfast or anything like that. He's away from the camp. This man was a man. He was not some kind of amazing person in and of himself. He was like you and I, a simple person, if I could say that about us all. He was a simple man, and God had given him a great task. God was calling him and had anointed him through Moses before they came into the promised land to lead his people. He wanted, to lead, he wanted Joshua to lead his people to take hold of the what? The promised land. He said, this is what I have promised for you to take. If I have promised it to you, and it's yours for the taking, then all that is left for you and I, if we are spiritual Israel, is to go ahead and claim it. Simple, isn't it? You happy with that? I am. Well, let's read on. The rest of the verse continues. So he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. This is some kind of warrior. The spirit of prophecy calls this man a lofty, a tall man, a warrior-like in all his appearance, and he has his sword drawn. Does this seem like he's coming on friendly terms? No, it kind of seems a little bit scary. And if I was Joshua, I might not have done what he does next. And what does he do next? The Bible says, and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Would you do such a thing? I think you'd be like me. We all just stand back and watch and say from a distance, who are you? Have you ever met anyone who knows who you are and you don't know who they are? Okay, maybe it happened at this conference. Someone says, hi, how are you doing? You can't remember who they are, but they remember you, which is really nice. Well, in this case, Joshua has the courage to go and ask this tall, lofty character, who are you? Are you for us or are you for them? Now, there's two points I want to make in this verse. First of all, 
What God says next, and if I have jumped the gun, I'll come with you on it. Let's just go to verse 14. The man says, no, I'm not for you and I'm not against you. I'm not for you alone and I'm not for your adversaries alone. Read it with me. So he said, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord am I now come. Who is this man? I said it a moment ago. This is God himself. What has Joshua been praying for? If he's leading all these people and he's seeing this Jericho where he needs to take the city, who is he praying to God for? What is he praying to God for? He's asking for guidance on how to take the city, how to claim the promise. You'd think that if God said, it's yours, have it, that he would know what we're supposed to do. But he goes and he prays. He prays and he's meditated, no doubt, on the words that God had said to him in chapter 1 of Joshua, where God says, no man will be able to stand before you. And that's why he walks straight over to this strange, amazing figure and says, who are you? And then that he asks him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And God's answer to him is, neither. Does that suggest to you and I that God is not just the God of us or the God of them, but the God of all living? Amen. He is not here just to say, I want to save those who live in Queensland or those who live in New South Wales or those who live in America and those who live in Australia. God says, I want to save everyone, everyone who will come to me by faith and accept my gift of salvation. We read on. What is Joshua's response to this? He falls on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? An act of worship, acknowledging the leadership of God. He surrenders the leadership imparted to him back to God, where it always ought to go. The commander in verse 15 of the Lord's army said to Joshua, and this is the first instruction he gives to the prayer of guide us, O Lord. Take your sandal off your foot. For the place where you're standing is what? Holy. And Joshua did so. Now I want to park us here because I actually like this thought a lot. Because it's so practical. Take your shoes off. The commander says, take your shoes off. It's the first thing. Moses at the burning bush, the thought of that whole story and how God spoke to him must have flashed through Joshua's mind. This is the same God who has led the Israelites through the wilderness, through many trials and made them wander around and around until they came back with faith to the promised land to claim it. Now there's three points I wanna make here. So if you're taking notes, write it down. The first point is, we want to recognize who God is. When you come before him asking for guidance and you come before him to claim his promises, we need to recognize who he is. Joshua took his shoes off because it was holy ground. Where God stands, it is holy. Take your shoes off. Recognize who you are before. The second point 
is that we want to surrender all. In our house, we don't wear shoes inside. And I don't know what you do, because everybody seems to be different on that one. But we try to keep inside separate from outside. So we take our shoes off, and at all the entrances to our house, you'll find shoes. It's kind of symbolic. Take your shoes off. All the visitors, take note, don't wear them inside. We have little slippers you can wear inside so that you don't dirty inside, because it's special. It's got to be clean. And at our church, we used to have this lady, she's still alive, dear Ivy. She wears the most amazing high heels. She's in her 80s now, and she wears really big high heels. She has amazing high heels. They're all different colors, and they match every different outfit she has for church. We love to see what Ivy's wearing. They denote her personality. That's how she likes to do it. What do your shoes say about you? Have a look at them. My sister likes to say you can tell a lot about a person by the way they wear their socks. But I would like to say you can tell a lot about a person by the shoes that they wear. Okay? Don't get too self-conscious. But God says, take your shoes off. Leave self at the door when you come to ask me for guidance. Put your plans aside and listen to mine. Adopt my will for your life. We tend to think we know a lot about what's best for us. We tell those who know a lot better than we do, who've lived a lot longer and had many more experiences of trial and error, that we know better. We don't want to listen to anybody else, anybody, what anybody else has to say. But God says, when you come to me, leave your shoes at the door. Take them off. It's holy ground. And I said I had three points on this one. So the third point is this. We want to obey. I was visiting the late Mrs. Down with my mum a long time ago in hospital. She wasn't well. This is Pastor Down's uh, first wife. And she asked me to get something. There was a suggestion in the conversation, and my mom said, Marlita can go get it. So I jumped to my feet from where I was sitting, and I started for the door. And she said, hang on, wait. I haven't even told you what you're supposed to get yet. And I felt a little bit silly, because I hadn't waited, and I just let her say, you know, I need help. When God wants to talk to us, Take your shoes off. Let him talk to you. Don't rush out of his presence. How many of you need guidance in your life? These people need guidance. Don't know about the rest of you. These people need guidance off the back. People want guidance with their relationships, with their work, what to do with work, when to go to Bible college, when to go just stay working, which job should I take, how should I work my life, my parents need me to look after them, they're not doing so well, how can I juggle everything? Well, don't just come into the prayer room and say, Lord, I have a problem. Do something about it and then walk out. Is he your friend or is he your Google where you just type your problem and wait for something to happen? God says, recognize who I am. Take your shoes off. It's holy ground. Surrender all to me. Take your shoes off. Leave self at the door. Obey me. Take your shoes off. Don't rush off. Let me talk with you. He has a better plan than anything you could ever dream up. Amen. Okay. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Now Jericho 
was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. In other words, it keeps going, none went in and none came out. What is this Jericho like? Well, the Bible doesn't say too much in this chapter, but from my little bit of research, I discovered that it is the size of eight acres of land. I don't know how big this block of land that this church and the school connected with it are on, but I'm guessing that it's somewhere in the vicinity of getting close to eight acres. Nobody here knows? Nobody here knows. We can just pretend that it is the size of... This is actually quite small. Eight acres is quite small. Is it smaller than what this block is on? Let's say that this city is about the size of this block. So that's so those here can imagine it. And it isn't quite big. Thank you very much. Eight acres, built up city, there's people inside, and they are stuck inside. The Bible doesn't say that the Israelites were camped all the way around this city, but they were in the plains of Jericho. So it kind of appears to me that the Jerichoites put themselves under their own siege. It's not like we went there, saying I'm, I'm envisioning I'm the Israelites, but it's not like they went there and said, let's camp all the way around, block their doors, and say, don't go in or out. They did that themselves. Now, inside the city, there was many things. They had trade with Babylon, and we know that from chapter 7, with Achan's sin of taking a Babylonish garment after the walls fell. They also had gold, silver, bronze, many different metals, and we know that because God said, don't take any of that. That's coming to the treasury of the house of the Lord. We know that they had grain in there, stores of grain, because this was during springtime. So the harvest had been taken, and they had enough food in there to last themselves a self-started siege. And so there was many things in there, but there was, apart from what material things were inside the city, inside the city were people who worshipped gods, such as Ashtoreth. She was the moon goddess, kind of the female counterpart to Baal. And what they did in worship to their gods was quite disgusting. They would cause their children to pass through the fire. They would perform sexual acts to honor their gods. And I just wonder how much of that happened inside the walls while the Israelites were outside of the walls. But it was all very futile. Verse 2. This is exciting because this is the next part of what God says to the Israelites. First he says, take your shoes off, recognize who I am, Surrender all and obey me, if you will. So verse 2, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. Then this you shall bear seven trumpets. Sorry, this you shall do six days Verse 4, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. 
that then the wall of the city will fall down. What will it fall down as? Flat. Same thing my Bible says. Quite explicitly, it will be flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And that is straight up into the city to take it and utterly destroy it. Well, folks, there you have it. That's the running sheet. That's what's going to happen. In the next couple of verses, this is exactly how God intends to take Jericho. He didn't say build a battering ram so that you can take the walls down. And he didn't say dig a hole, start digging a tunnel underneath the walls. And he didn't say get some flaming arrows ready. He said just march around it. He says get your warriors, get them in front, get your seven priests with the seven trumpets. And I play the trumpet so I kind of like the story. And then he says, get your priests with the Ark of the Covenant to carry it around. And then at the rear guard, as we find later on, representatives of all the tribes followed. It was quite a procession. Well, you know what? Joshua didn't waste any time with this. The Bible says that he went straight to the people and he gave them the running sheet. He said, this is what God wants us to do. And he told them exactly how to start to get in order. And they did. And they started what seems to be that same day in walking, marching around the city of Jericho. I just wonder what the kids in the, in the camp were thinking. They heard this plan. They know that God has brought them through the Jordan River. It was an amazing miracle with the water building up on one side and falling away down to the Dead Sea on the other side. God had worked miracles that they had seen in their lifetime. It wasn't just miracles that they could recount from the past. They had seen it themselves. And here they saw perhaps their dads marching out of the camp, just doing what God had asked them to do. Great expectation of the plans that God had put before them was in each of their hearts. And as they marched out, I wonder what the people on the wall were thinking. Oh, here comes the Israelites. They're going to march. Look at them. They look pretty scary. But they have nothing really of anything, of any strength that could take our walls down. There's nothing powerful about it. But hang on, they've got that ark. And they're blowing trumpets, probably to keep them in time. But this is a bit scary because we don't know what is going to happen. I wonder if the archers, if they had binoculars, would have zoomed in to see the mouths of the soldiers and to see what they were saying. If any orders or any secret battle ideas could be gained for them, how are they going to do something to us? Because we're a walled city, we're shut up, they can't actually touch us at the moment. But you know what? <clears throat> they didn't see any lips move. No lips moved, because in verse 10 of chapter six, Joshua had told them, or tells them, he commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. Do you like being quiet? You don't. It's kind of hard to tell right now. <laughs> I don't like being quiet unless I have nothing to say. This time of being quiet as it is for you right now, was a time of great importance. God was giving the Israelites an opportunity to meditate. Now, how often do you go to your Bible and you open it up and you say, I'm going to find something to read. 
you know, because this is what we're supposed to do, read God's word, right? So you open up and say you find Jericho and you think, wow, that's exciting. Look at that. The walls are standing, they're marching, and they're not saying a word. And you just think, that's all right, okay. So silent battle, silent killer, and um, nothing else happens in your brain. You just skim over over the story. Who's read the Bible through? Oh, you're amazing. Okay, well, I've tried, and I haven't actually finished. I'm kind of like halfway. And I started doing that when I was on the bus going to school in high school. So it's a couple years ago now. And I kept reading because I wanted to finish the whole Bible, you know, cover to cover, kind of a nice, proud thing to say. I've read the whole thing through. I'm not saying you guys said it in pride. I asked you to say it. But the thing is, I didn't get much from it. I read it, got some of the stories in my mind, but I didn't actually glean much of the truths that were in the Bible in those first half of the Bible to understand any more about God than I did before I started reading. And actually, I was in year 12, and I thought, this is a little bit silly. I think I'll just stop, because I'm wasting, I'm wasting time that I could be using better in the Bible. So I stopped just trying to read through it and start focusing on it. I want to read you this, this portion from what I found in the Bible commentary. Because if you notice in chapter 1, verse 3, God told uh, Joshua that everywhere, you might want to turn there, by the way. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. Now the Bible says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Can you say that with me? Read it together. One, two, three. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. As I said to Moses, because the promise still stands. You're the children of Israel. This is for you to claim. Everywhere that the sole of your foot treads, I have given you. Is that a promise or what? Everywhere, it doesn't matter where. You just got to walk there and it's yours because I have given it to you. The foot was the primitive, was used in primitive custom to measure out land and land that would be cultivated or built upon. Now the footprint was regarded as a means or sign of ownership. So where, where I walk out my plot of land is going to be my plot of land and denoting that the land had been marked out by the foot of the supposed owner who thereby acquired it as his or her own property. Now the implication of this then is that they must do something to gain possession of the land, correct? The Israelites were to have only as much of the land as they could walk upon. Theirs was a bountiful promise. If you were told you could have as much of Queensland as you can walk upon, would you start walking? Tax-free. You can have as much of it as you can walk upon. I'd start walking. But it was to be realized by their own exertion. Do you think that by opening your Bible, you're going to gain all the blessings? You think, I'm going to open my Bible and get hit by all the blessings. It doesn't happen like that. God says, you need to walk in my word, not walk on the Bible. Don't put your Bible on the floor and say, this is God's word and I believe it and I'm praising him. No, if you want to believe in what God says, don't leave your Bible on the floor, 
Put it in your heart, friends. It's, it's the holy word of God. It is a divine law, as true of our spiritual inheritance as of the ancient inheritance of literal Israel, that only as we march forward in faith, claiming the promises, do they become ours. Did you hear that? Only as we march forward in faith, claiming the promises, do they become ours. We have the Bible, and we may think that we know it well. We may have read it from cover to cover. We may be able to remember everything that we've read and recite books. Amazing talent you have if you can do that. And we should all strive to put it in our minds and our hearts. Yet, of this vast field of unlimited treasure, we may in reality possess no more than a mere fragment. And I'm preaching to myself too. Only that which we appropriate to ourselves is our own. Large neglected areas await our possession. There is still more promised land to possess. Joshua and the Israelites, they had come over the Jordan. Yes, what a miracle. Yes, God was with them. But he had let them come into the plains of Jericho. Okay, they didn't want to go into the city because later on it's demolished and accursed and no one's going to build that city again but God said if you want to own the promised land then don't leave anything untouched don't let anything stand in your way to claiming all of it and by this very story he is encouraging each of us to step into the Bible and to claim it it is our privilege to claim God's promises There was a man crossing the Mississippi, and he started down on his knees and hands. He didn't know the depth or the thickness of that ice. That's why he's on his knees and hands. If we were talking about prayer at this point, that would be okay to be on your knees and hands, but we're talking about faith, and faith stands on God's promises. Well, very shortly, he saw someone on a sleigh coming straight towards him on the ice, And he thought, hang on, that's a horse and that's a sleigh. What am I doing on my knees and hands? God's word is a lot more powerful than you or I can ever think. It is so much more powerful. (sighs) Okay, I'm being blessed by this message. I hope you are too. And actually, I think I get more of the blessing than you do because I've been sitting in this story just a little bit longer. Okay, let us keep moving. Moving forward in faith. They are marching around Jericho. The watchmen on the towers, yes, they tried to lip read, but there's nothing to lip read. They're silent as mice. Why would they be silent? Don't look at me. Why would they be silent? Anybody got an idea? Call it out. Yes, it was God's instruction. Okay, after it's God's instruction, why would God want them to be quiet? Say again. It's God's victory. Anybody else? Meditation. Did somebody say meditation over here? You said it. You can have all the points. (laughs) God wants them to meditate. The very fact that they can't speak to each other means they can't speak any doubt. Nobody was texting anybody. 
Nobody was going on Facebook putting little statuses, not even of their spiritual thoughts. Nobody was saying, so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that. Did you see what so-and-so did? There was none of that. The focus of this marching was not to be on how big the walls were or on how tired they could get walking around eight acres, which isn't very big. The focus was to be on God's word. And in fact, if you were doing something like marching around a city, which kind of seems a little bit pointless, because knowing that the end of it is, is uh, you're just going to have to shout, you would kind of feel a little bit silly, wouldn't you? And in fact, to kind of picture that, imagine on day three, they gave up with this marching. We've done a lot of walking. I mean, 40 years, we did that in the wilderness. We know how to walk in circles. So they get here and they're walking again in circles every day. Why? Why do we have to walk any more circles? We do this. We're good at it. But God says, no, you're not good enough at it because you don't know how to walk with me. God says, walk with me and meditate on my words. Now, I really liked Joshua chapter 1. And if I wasn't doing Joshua chapter 5 and 6, we would have been doing Joshua chapter 1. Because Joshua receives God's word in Joshua chapter 1. And I'm just going to read it to you because I like it. And it fits right here. This is what God said to Joshua to encourage him when he started out as a leader of Israel. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. You're the next one. Now, therefore, arise, pointing to the sign. We've got to utilize these beautiful... uh, things on the wall here. Arise, get up. Don't wait here. Go over this Jordan. Conquer it. I'm giving you the promised land. It's yours to possess. And all its people, the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. The promise is yours. As I said to Moses, it still stands. It's part of the covenant promise. Don't let it go. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be to stand, sorry, shall be yours. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for the people, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. And again he says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant, which he commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that it says. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. And if you want to meditate in that after today, go ahead. God says, be strong, but he didn't tell them to push the walls down. He says, be courageous, but he didn't say, do anything else but march around. All we have to do, what this is pointing towards, is to claim the promises of God. They weren't to do anything 
else but what God said exactly to take the promised land, claiming the promise. So I think if that is what God had said, and this is ringing in their ears, that the Israelites would have been meditating on this as they marched around. Now the guys marching around were guys. They didn't have ladies as warriors that I know of. So gentlemen, God is calling you to a special work in your families, to be the ones who meditate on God's word and take that back to your family to guide them to meditate on his word as well. I don't really see why you would want to be the father of children, the priest of your household, if you cannot lead them to Jesus. If you're not there yourself, and this goes for for ladies and mothers as well, if you're not there yourself, it goes for everybody, then how can you possibly lead your family? Where are you in relation to the promise? So they're thinking about this as they go. I was talking with some of the guys last night at dinner, and we were talking about how they marched around and what they might have been thinking about, what they did when they came back from the marching around, because they'd said nothing. Would they have been excited? Would there have been a lot of noise in the camp? Or would they have been very quiet and solemn and just pensive about what God was doing with them? Well, day one, they marched around the city. Day two, they marched around the city. The people inside are starting to think, this is getting a bit of a habit. But day three, oh king, they're doing it again. They're marching around the city. Did they say anything? Nothing. Just like yesterday. Day four, marched around the city. Day five, they marched around the city. They marched and they marched and they marched. They meditated on God's word. This was an important time for them to have faith growing inside of them for it to be built up. It was a daily thing. And then on the seventh day that they marched around, and the Bible doesn't tell us which day was the Sabbath in this whole marching business, but if it so happened to be the Sabbath, if God tells you to do something on a certain day, should we do it? Yes, we should. Whatever he tells us to do, we should do. And how are you going to know if you don't meditate in his word? So, the seventh day comes. They wake up early. In fact, every day they've been waking up early. They get up this morning knowing that something special is going to happen. Their marching hasn't been in vain. It's been important. You think back to when the Syrian captain was covered with leprosy and the little servant girl from the Israelites, she told him, my God can heal you. There's a prophet and he can heal you. Go to him. He goes to Elijah and he asks him, how can I be made whole? And Elijah says, well, go wash in that river seven times and then you'll be whole. He says, come on, look at me. I'm better than that. That river is dirty. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not going in it. And on his way past that river, he thinks, well, you know what? What's the harm? Seven dips in, maybe we'll come out clean. He goes in, one, two, three, four, five, and six. On the seventh time, he comes up clean, free of his leprosy. You think of Elijah when he was on Mount Carmel, and he prayed to bring the rain back after three years of drought, after they'd had that big showdown with the prophets of Baal. And he sends his servant out, go check if there's any rain. 
Once, there's nothing. Two, still nothing. Three, four, five times, nothing. Six times, nothing. It's on the seventh time that the rain came, that the little cloud came, and then the downpour. There is something important when God says, do it seven times. How long have you been reading your Bible? Are you getting anything from it? Yes? No? Really don't know? Friends, go back to your Bibles. I was looking after one of my patients, because I'm a nurse, and I get a lot of geriatric patients, which means older people in their 80s or so. And this little lady, she's fairly cute. She's been with us for some time. And she, she was sitting there and she's saying, oh, I just want to read my books. Can you bring over my books? So I went over to where the books were. And of course, the hospital has a Bible in every room. And I said, do you want this book? And she said, which book? I said, the Bible. She said, oh, not that book. I said, why not? She said, oh, don't read it. I said, well, I do. She said, okay, anything good in it? I said, everything good. <laughs> everything good. And she has no idea because she still didn't want to read it. She wanted to read some softy story about love. But friends, <laughs> this is the greatest love book that's ever been written. If you haven't noticed, Get into the Bible and notice it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Love is always best experienced firsthand. So they are marching. They've meditated on God's word. They know that something special is going to happen. They know who they are marching around, thinking about claiming his word and his promises. And they go around once. They go twice. They go three times. Excitement in that marching throng is getting high. We're getting close to number seven. We can maybe stop marching. <laughs> and they get to the sixth time. Yes, okay. I've passed this landmark. And perhaps they passed Rahab's window with the scarlet cord in it. And it, they reminded of them of the Passover and how God is going to save those who are covered with his blood. Amen? Just throwing that in there because you can't miss the cross. But as they go around, they're coming around to their last turn. And they get there, and the trumpets, those ram's horns, they blow loud and long. And the Israelites, what are they supposed to do? Shout. Sorry, what are they supposed to do? Shout. A little louder? Shout. They're supposed to what? Shout. They're supposed to shout for all they've got. I don't know if you've ever been into a stadium, and I hope you haven't been in too many. I haven't. But they shout really loud when people get a score. And the crowd, they go wild. But this time, the Israelites, I wonder if they had fully surrounded the city, they shouted for all they had. Was it a shout of, I'm so sorry, I've been marching around here for all this time, I'm really sad about it, and now we're shouting like, ah. Oh. It wasn't a sigh. Friends, that was a shout, a shout of victory. God was going to give them the victory. And as they shouted, as they fulfilled the program, as they went through that running sheet, God gave them the victory. The spirit of prophecy says that the angels, hands, the host of heaven, the army of God shook the walls of that city. And it was flat. They went up into the city and they did exactly what God told them to do. They utterly destroyed everything living. And they burnt the place because everything was accursed in it. But the only things that they took out was the metal, the precious metals, the gold, the silver, the brass, the bronze, and that was taken into the treasury of God. Why was that spared? It can be refined by fire. 
Amen. And you know what archaeologists have found? They found that layer of charcoal. They found the layer of soot, of dust that had been from the fires. This is a story, friends, that excites me. It excites me for a number of reasons. One, because we find in the beginning, in the end of chapter 5, we find that God actually meets with his people. He meets with those who seek him. He meets with those who ask for his guidance. And he doesn't just meet with them and say, hi, let's, let's watch a movie. He says, let's sit, let's talk. Take your shoes off. I have something to tell you. I want to share something with you. I want to give you the victory. And the second reason is because he takes them around the city. Marching around the city, I thought, oh, yeah, I love the way they shout at the end, you know, and then there's the victory. But friends, God was giving them the victory every time they put their foot down. Every time they put their foot down, they were marching in time with heaven. Friends, we want to march in time with heaven. God isn't calling you and I to just read our Bibles for the sake of going from cover to cover. It's not about the cover. Friends, God wants you and I to meditate in his word, to meet him where he is, and he's in his word. He wrote it. He said it. What is it to you? I was looking after this lady in hospital. Like I said, I'm a nurse. That's where I look after people. And um, this lady, she looked out the window, and you can see one one of our Adventist churches right outside the window, nice big building. And she said, oh, I used to go to that church. I said, oh, really? Well, logical question. So are you a Seventh-day Adventist? She said, no, no, we're not Seventh-day Adventists anymore. I thought, okay, you actually want to tell me about why you're not an Adventist? I mean, how did that happen? And uh, it can happen very easily, by the way. And then we were looking after, I was doing something else for her a little bit later. And I asked her, so which church do you go to now? Assuming she still believed. She said, oh, no, I don't go to church anymore. We saw the light years ago. And I was just laughing to myself, not because it's entirely funny, but the fact that she thought she saw some light years ago and she wasn't even trying to tell me about it. So I thought, okay. So I was prodding a little bit more and she told me about how she and her family have a lot to do with the hospital, which is the Sydney Adventist Hospital, a lot to do with the church she was pointing to and a lot to do with Avondale, a lot to do with everything that seems to be Adventist in this part of Sydney where I am. And as she was telling me, she was telling me with a lot of pride, you know, we did this, we did that, it's all materialistic kind of stuff. Okay, yes, they kind of set up the hospital, they kind of like taught Avondale or they built the church, whatever. But as she's telling me, I am thinking in my mind, because I had this message to prepare, thinking in my mind, how did that happen? How does someone who is so involved in God's work get lost and see some light somewhere else? How does that happen? And I said to myself, while I was talking with the Lord, she mustn't have been reading her Bible. She must have perused through it and seen nothing more than words. She must have just seen a good story, an amazing story, like Jericho, where the walls fall down after they shout, or all it took was walking around. But friends, as simple as Christianity may seem, as simple as it may seem, we don't, I mean, we don't have to offer 
these silly offerings like passing your children through the fire or performing silly sexual acts to please our God. Our God is a noble God. Our God is a God who respects our dignity. He has given us dignity. We have a wonderful God. We don't have to do those things to please him. All he asks us to do is to have faith. And without it, it's impossible to please him. Do you want faith? You're all meditating. (laughs) I want to have faith. And I want to have a faith that will last the test. I want to keep marching around whatever city in my life needs to be defeated. I want to keep marching around carrying the promise of God in my heart and putting it to the test, putting my feet to the ground and saying, yes, I believe in you, Lord. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you do these things. You do the impossible. You do what we don't understand. And that's why he's God. If we knew everything about God, if we understood everything about God, we might be just God ourselves, but we aren't. Praise the Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're about here this morning because we want to surrender everything to you. We want to recognize you for who you are. You are our God. And we know that where you are is holy. Help us, Lord, to continually take our shoes off and listen to you. As we take our shoes off, Lord, I ask that you'll continue to help us to put self aside, leave it at the door, and to let your plan govern our lives. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to obey what you have said, to go the course, to claim the promise, to march around as many times as you tell us to, and then to shout and claim the victory, praising you for all that you have and will do in our lives. Lord, as we come to the end of Earth's history, We see the signs showing that you are coming very soon. Oh Lord, there's so much unclaimed ground in your word that we want to be blessed by. But Lord, as we daily sit at your feet, shoes off, I pray that you would teach us, seal us for heaven, give us a faith that will stand the test, and may we be there ready and waiting to go home with you when you come in the clouds of glory. This is our prayer, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. This has been 3ABN On The Road. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.
Were It Not For Grace, sung by Sandra Enterman, and before that, Henry Higgins played Nothing Between. <laughs> 